This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. We want to hear from you about how we're doing. You can help us improve Alt Latino by taking some time to answer some questions about the show. And we want to hear from everyone, including our new listeners. Please go to npr.org forward slash Alt Latino survey. That's one word, Alt Latino survey. Thanks. Hey, Anna, you have siblings, don't you? Yes, I have two, a brother and a sister. Imagine if you made music with them. What do you think that would be like? I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying this. <laughs> but my brother has honestly such a bad voice, and oh he doesn't God. know it. And he doesn't know it. And I remember sitting in our house growing up, listening to him try to sing and be like, I simply can't do this. This is too much. Well, nobody will know but us, <laughs> but you and I, okay? <laughs> I can't believe I'm you sorry. I can't believe you did <laughs> It's did time you, you knew. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. But I have dreams, right? I think I have dreams of what it would have been like to actually grow up in a more musical household. I am fortunate in that I did grow up in a musical household. My dad played guitar and sang. My mother loved to sing. And as a result, my three younger brothers all ended up playing musical instruments of some kind or another. And of course, I played a little bit of music. As we got older, we were able to play together, which is really a special thing to be playing with your siblings. You know, we talk so much about the ways that music allows us to connect with our culture, with our ancestors, but there's something incredibly intimate about doing that with family members, I have to imagine. That is the topic of this week's podcast because we talk to Hermanos Gutierrez this week. Ugh, they're amazing. guitar players, no voices, and their new record is called El Bueno y El Malo. The second I heard them, I mean, I was absolutely floored by just how cinematic and colorful and and truly emotionally captivating their music is. And they don't have lyrics. And I think that's where the magic is, because just as in their music, their conversation was such that as one finished one sentence, the other kind of expanded on it in an interesting way that doesn't happen in normal conversations, I think. They're definitely uh, connected on some other plane, Felix. I don't know. There's something special going on there for sure. I love their music. There are a lot of influences and a lot of common references that I enjoy talking about. Can't wait for you to hear this conversation. But first, we got to let you know who you're listening to. This is Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Let the chisme begin.
We never wanted to have the same sound. It was always like, let's create something together. So I had my guitar, he, he had his guitar, and we create our Hermanos Gutierrez sound. I was thinking about this interview. It's like, how do we not totally geek out on guitars <laughs> and guitars and amps and tones and all that stuff? Because that's what I'm dying to do. But let's talk a little bit about your influences, mm -hmm. right, on the guitar. I think there's so many musicians that uh, we look up to. I will mention especially Gustavo Santaloya. He's a wow. big mm. film oh. composer that I admired my whole life. There's another one that I, I was always admiring, Jose Gonzalez, with his acoustic guitar. I think it's a mixture of uh, a lot of musicians that I was uh, just taking a little bit of that and that and finding my own voice. I think it was really about that from the beginning. I never liked to do cover versions of any musicians. I started to play the guitar when I was around eight, nine, and I started to play the classic guitar. I really love the Argentinian classical music. It's called milonga. So I always was into finger pinking from the beginning until I was maybe 17. And then I started to play some surf cover songs and stuff. But when we started to play together, that was the moment when I used my technique and change it into the style that we have now. So you guys are kids, you're playing guitar. At what point did you decide, hey, let's try this together? Were you doing it separately? Were you in your room and you were in your room? I mean, how did that work? I think it started individually, that's for sure. But then I moved to Zurich, that was six years ago. Zurich, Switzerland. Yeah, Zurich, uh -huh. Switzerland. And we haven't been in touch that much, my brother and, and I. And I asked him to come over so we can hang out. He came with his guitar, this is amp, and that was the moment where we tried out stuff. And I remember our flatmate came to the room and he said, like, hey, what are you doing, guys? It sounds amazing. And who is that? And we just answered, yeah, it's us. And that was the moment where we realized, all right, maybe we're on something. That was cool, yeah. Besides feeling something obviously musically really special there in that moment, like collaborating with your brother, I'm curious because you, you just said that you hadn't been talking as much as brothers do. You, I guess, were in a moment where you were kind of living separate lives. What was that like for you? What was going through your head as you were thinking, wow, this music is bringing us together? Well, it was a beautiful moment because we, we realized that we missed each other and... Uh... We love each other and um, it was nice to connect through the music. We never had the goal to build a band, but when we kind of felt that energy that we have playing together, yeah, we knew, hey, there's something that we really have to care about. And that's the moment when everything started. Aquí estamos, now we're here. Can we hear that in your music? Can we hear like that coming together, that connection, that like finding your brother again? Yeah, definitely. Each record tells its own story. I think we're all going through relationships which have crucial moments of being close and then going through phases where, yeah, things are not working well, but it always has been the music which brings us together. So in each record, it speaks for a time where we're spending time together to create an album and uh, we feel the closest in those moments. You have background in Ecuador? Yeah. Is that where you both were born? No, 
Our father is Swiss and our mother is from Ecuador. We were born and raised in Switzerland. So where does the sound come from? What are these influences? Because it doesn't sound like Switzerland yeah. and it doesn't sound what I know is to be the music from Ecuador. We were born and raised in Switzerland, but we went every year for vacation to Ecuador to see our family, uh, our grandparents. And uh, our grandfather, Luis Don Lucho, he was a big influence because he showed us his favorite singer called Julio Jaramillo. No puedo verte triste porque me mata Tu carita de pena, mi dulce amor and there's one song called Nuestro Juramento. He showed us this song when we were children, and I remember how he gets so emotional and, and sad and that he started to cry, and, and he showed us that it's nice what you're feeling, you know, this sadness is something beautiful, because then you feel kind of alive. And I think that was a huge impact on us, kind of realizing that the music can move something in you. And I think that's also... The thing that we try to create when we write new songs, we always want to touch everybody's heart with our music, everybody's alma. I just saw a friend of mine this weekend. He's a mariachi player, and we were talking mm-hmm. about just stuff. We always, you know, we talk about music stuff, and and the topic of sad songs came up, mm. right? And he said something, and all of these years I've been playing music, I never heard before. He says we play sad songs so that we can feel better. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> right, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I love sad songs. Really. Um, even when I'm <laughs> happy, too. I listen to sad songs because, uh, yeah, it makes something to you. And just adding what my brother said, I totally agree. And I think maybe just because we grew up in two cultures, we were always kind of feeling lost. We were not feeling part of Ecuadorian mm-hmm. culture, not even Swiss. So maybe you don't f- hear those boundaries in the music that we're doing. You know, it's just, it could be from everywhere because... We were never attached to either Swiss or Ecuadorian culture. In a way, like what's a stronger emotion than than sadness and pain? Like if you're looking to feel something and to feel connected to something, there's nothing stronger kind yeah, of totally. than to lean into that. The second you said, oh, well, we leaned into music as this way for us to, to reconnect as brothers. And I was like, well, where does that come from? Like where does that instinct to do that come from? And now I hear it, like in your grandpa, that that was something you connected with when you were young, and that's where you found feeling and emotion, I mean, and it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah, when we play, when we are on stage, we always give everything, and we always play from the heart. And I think that's also the thing that the listeners and the fans always feel, the connection between us, and that we really try to play with with our heart. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's intentional, you know, like going out and to look for that kind of sadness and uh, have a connection through that with the fans. It's just really what's the essence of us as brothers, and we share that emotion, the sadness. Mm. But we never sat down like saying, yeah, let's do sad music, so uh, (laughs) we want to reach out to people. It's the easiest way to do, you know? It was never about that. Um, It's just how the way we hear and we feel music. Obviously, a huge part of how people communicate through music, especially, I think, sadness, is oftentimes in lyrics. 
Is there ever a part of you that feels limited in your expression without having any words to say what you need to say? Do you feel liberated um, in that you just have this, you know, guitar and these instrumentals to communicate? How does that feel for you? I mean, I'm happy I don't have to sing, to be honest. <laughs> First, because I think uh, I don't have a nice voice or I could even go and verbalize all what I have inside of me. So I feel liberated that we can use our uh, guitars to express ourselves. It's not about feeling limited at all. It's really just grabbing and finding melodies which are there and sharing them. Our voices are our guitars. So we don't need to sing to add a voice on it, you know. I remember my mom always said when I was playing, she always said, haces llorar a la guitarra. And that's beautiful, so that's always the, the thing that we always try to do, make the guitars cry. You know, sometimes we don't play maybe two weeks, and the moment when we, when we start playing again, it's like there, it's like this, this energy that we can create just with two guitars. That's, that's so cool, I'm so grateful for that. You can really feel the experience of your music, it's so cinematic. You talk about it being so emotionally evocative. Do you see your music as a soundtrack to something? That's a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd love to compose a, a score for the right movie. But is there a movie going on in your head now that it, yeah. your music creates a soundtrack for? I see myself always in a car with my brother, the Death Valley or uh, in California. Yeah. It's a place where I really like to be when we're playing, you know, with the, with the dust, with the mountains, the sunset, like the silence of just driving and, and, and feeling the wind. I see a romantic version of uh, an old spaghetti western. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, somewhere out in the desert, it's rough. Maybe grainy pictures, colorful, but it's not violent at all. It's, it's beautiful. It tells you something and uh, makes you connect, makes you even cry. <laughs> Are you trying to take other people there when you play for them? Yeah, of course. I mean, they always say, hey, thank you. I was on a journey. And maybe they're not on the same as we are, but they definitely go on a journey and they can connect with themselves. that feeling while playing and then realizing that you can give the fans so much nice energy, it's beautiful. We'll come back to our interview with Hermanos Gutierrez right after this break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way, stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. 
Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. As guitar players, as you guys have developed along the way, has it caused you to, to like to explore the history of the guitar and and other musicians who have used it to create these same kind of imaginary landscapes and stuff? That's a great question. Uh, hard to tell. But I wouldn't put myself in comparison with other musicians. Mm-hmm. I take them as an inspiration. But it's not about my place in music history. Mm-hmm. I, I have never asked that question to myself. But hopefully we will have a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also a thing why we're doing it. I think we always wanted to have vinyls. <laughs> own vinyls, you know, you yeah. can collect them, you can buy them, but having an own vinyl and pass that to future generations, that's a very powerful thing to to pass on. So I think there is a wish that we can, at least in our family circle, share the music that we did and our grandkids can talk and like, oh yeah, we had musicians in our family <laughs> that did that kind of Western sound. If that happens, I would be the happiest guy yeah. right now. Wow. Uh, we like to collect old vinyls, and uh, I especially, I, I'm a salsa lover from the 70s. And um, there's one band called uh, Los Hermanos Lebron. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. know them? Oh, yeah, yeah. So they were five brothers, you know, and we always loved that idea that the five brothers do music together. That was a big inspiration on when we kind of realized, hey, how can we be called? Which band name? It was clear. It was like <laughs> Hermanos and Gutierrez from my mother's name, so... It took us maybe 10 seconds to create Los Hermanos Gutierrez. There's a long history of that relationship between siblings, brothers and brothers or brothers and sisters, that comes out in music, mm. right? Eddie and Charlie Palmieri from the Salsa mm-hmm. Days, right? They would read each other's minds, but they were different enough, mm. right? Jorge and Carlos Santana, Dwayne and Greg Allman. Santa Johnny. Santu and Santu Johnny. Johnny. We got to name them. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Santu and Johnny is a, a duo from the 50s yeah. mm-hmm. that had a hit with a, a song called Sleepwalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was played on a lap steel guitar. One time we got, I think that's, that was the coolest compliment somebody wrote, you're like Santo and Johnny. Oh, my God. But listen, <laughs> but badass. That was so cool. Oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah. There's something about that chemistry of siblings. It's unspeakable, it, but it, it comes out in the music. It's very special when we write a song. It's always, it starts, one of us has an idea, and you know something is missing. And then we show the idea to the other one, and, and we know that the other one is going to fill it up with, with the thing that is missing. And there's always this moment when we feel while we're playing it, now we have it. So we have so many melodies. Um, maybe you can share the story with El Bueno El Malo when we wrote it. I mean, we had the idea before we went to Nashville, and uh, it was on a Thursday, and we were rehearsing, 
and we were playing that song. It didn't have a name yet, but I played it wrong. I played it by accident. I stayed on the chord like longer than I usually did. <laughs> and my brother looked at me like, wow, that sounds cool. Why, why are you not playing like, like that? So I changed it and I stayed on the chord and my brother has a little black notebook with all the melodies. And he, I saw him putting that down on the floor and he said like, you know what, I'm going to play something new over it. And I heard the first tone of El Bueno El Malo and we were instantly being transported to Ennio Morricone kind of landscape. And he asked me, what kind of name should we like add to that song? And I came up, I mean, it has to be El Bueno El Malo. And that was it. And I think that was one of the moments where we feel we're connected because it really happens fast. We wrote that song in 20 minutes. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And that was it. And I think sometimes we just take it too much for granted, yeah. that kind of sibling connection. But maybe because when you're too much in it, you don't see it. But I love that you're telling us mm. that you can feel it. That's yeah. beautiful. Why did it have to be El Bueno y El Malo? I think because that picture of Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone and because we're two, we wanted to make it a fun project. It was not about too much getting the duality of good and bad. It was more of having that connection to a film score that already has been told. And we wanted to make our own version of it. You know, that's maybe the thing that I see when I hear our music, that soft version of Ennio Morricone, you know. mentioned Spaghetti Westerns earlier. It refers to a specific genre of movie made in the 19, late 1960s mm. with Italian directors recreating cowboy movies from here in the U.S. and Italy mm-hmm. and using Italian actors and famously an American actor, Clint Eastwood. And he's always like this mystical character, mm. like this loner. El bueno y el malo comes from the film The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm. Yeah. So I see that you guys, you use the two instead of all three. Yes. But it's one of the classic uh, Italian Western movies from that era. Mm. And Ennio Morricone was a composer who did all this stuff. And he recreated the sound of the Southwest as he heard it in Italy. Old guys like me know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Because I used to see those movies all the time. The I used pro, to watch them. Yeah. That's so much yeah. fun. We, always, yeah. we also liked about the, the title um, that... In the first thought, you think one of us is el bueno, el otro es el malo, no? <laughs> yeah. But we think bigger than that. We think that everybody of us, um, also for our listeners, has something good and something bad, which at the end is something so natural and so magical. You have to have also the bad sides to be yourself, to have your personality. So that's why we also like this title, el bueno, el malo. And you left the ugly out. We don't need that. <laughs> no, not everyone has to have ugly. It's okay. Because <laughs> in the movie, the ugly is the bad guy. Are there specific moments in your music you can point to that feel like the good and feel like the bad in everyone? I think it's besides music when we're having discussions between brothers. What's the age difference? You Eight. tell me. I think you guys are about four years apart. No. Two years. It's double that. It's eight years. Eight years, eight years different. Yeah. Eight wow. years? Yeah, that's oh, why our first album that. is called Ocho Años. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, was there a point where you were like not friends? You were very much in different phases and then you were like, okay, now we're close enough in age where we can be like this. Yeah, that was uh, in the beginning. That's why we reconnected because we were having so different lifestyles. And eight years is a lot. Mm -hmm. Can be a lot. Yeah. yeah. But music helped us to reconnect. Mm. Oh, yeah. Me and my sister were seven years and there was definitely a solid period where like she was a full person and I was still a kid and you're just in different moments. You have to find the way to connect as, as adults. You guys are going to make me cry. What oh, happened? Okay. No, my sons are three years apart. Okay. Oh. 19 and 22. Hmm. And I see that, you know, and they're different ages. You know, it's just three years, hmm. but they're, you know, they're different people at different stages of their lives. And just like you say, Anna. Mm -hmm. And so the way you guys come together like this, oof. Hmm. You know, no one knows your experiences and your family like your sibling does. That's what I always say. Yeah. I think it's really rare and beautiful to hear that that's the most present thing in the music. Mm, thank you so much. What do your parents think of your career now? You know, I'm going to be honest. Um, our father has never come to a show of ours. Mm. It's, it's the way it is. I think he's proud in his own way. And our mom is the totally, totally different, like the contrast. She's mm -hmm. like collecting all the newspaper articles <laughs> that we have, even like posters, mm -hmm. which are not nicely done. But she's, um, <laughs> she's the angel in that kind of perspective. But it's what yeah. it is, and it's, it's totally okay. Our uh, brothers, we have two other siblings. They're super proud. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're very proud, and they love what we're doing. And yeah, that's everything. It means... It means, it means a lot. Did your grandfather ever get a chance to hear you? No, I just wanted to say that, that he would have been so proud. <laughs> now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I think that if he would know, or I think he can see and feel what we're doing, and he's always with us on this journey, and I think he's, he's very proud of us. Is there something you can point to, a, a moment in your music where we can really hear him? That moment where you're feeling embraced by our music, I think that's when we're connecting with our relatives, with our grandmother, with our culture. I couldn't point out the single moment, it's just there. That brother thing goes really deep. There's something about the way they talk about their music and the connection that it gives them, not just to each other, but to their family as a whole, that just feels... It places their music in a position of being so much greater than just themselves. It's really like incredible to me what a family-first experience and project it is for them. And I like how they are in a long line of guitar players who are using the guitar to create these cinematic, these very personal, these grandiose and also very intimate perspectives just with the six strings on the guitar. And the grasp that they had on, on the beauty of, of sadness and tragedy, I don't know. I think you have to have been raised in a certain family with a certain 
sense of the majesty almost of sadness to be able to recognize that and and want to create that. The majesty of sadness. I'm starting to sound like Santana. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I love that concept. I feel like going into this interview, you didn't believe me that there was a sadness to be found, a familial sadness to be found in their music. Are you still of that opinion after having talked to them? Well, yeah, actually, I'm a believer now after hearing them talk a little bit about the relationship that they have with their father. But, you know, I think that that kind of sadness is common in a lot of Latino cultures, specifically the Mexican culture with the mariachi and rancheras and all that. But I think that taken as a whole, musicians channel these really deep-seated emotions into their music, and these guys very effectively do it. It's nuanced in their music, some of that melancholy, but it's definitely there, and it adds to this nice mixture of emotions that come out without any words, instrumental music. It's pretty amazing. And I think that this is a perfect example of something beautiful that happens on this show where we're witnessing a phenomenon that we had kind of like ascribed to a lot of our Mexican artists that we talked to about finding that kind of juxtaposition of sadness and joy in their music. And we're seeing the ways that that shows up in in other Latino homes and other Latino communities. And that's like a really incredible thing, I think, to see the way that these things continue to expand and, and show up in different places. It's part of that melodramatic aesthetic that they take along with them in their music. So, yeah, I'm a believer now. I'm a very firm believer. We're all about conversions around here. (laughs) (laughs) You got me. That's a good one. That's a good one. And this podcast was a good one, we hope, because it's now time to bring it to a close. Before we go, we want to remind you about a short, anonymous way you can help us out. Please tell us what you like and how we could improve by going to npr.org forward slash survey. That's npr.org forward slash survey. You can find the link in our show notes. You have been listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. Our editor is Hazel Sills. Our audio producer is Ron Scalzo. Fee O'Reilly does all kinds of stuff and we really love her for it. And Grace Chung is the person who keeps us all on track. The jefe, Keith Jenkins, keeps us under control. <laughs> what a disastrous credit. <laughs> I'm Felix Contreras. I'm Ana Maria Sayer. <laughs> You've been listening to Alt Latino. Thanks Please for listening. See you next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. 
I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot on It's Been a Minute from NPR. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.